podcasting from the great city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, home of the Liberty Bell and of your Eastern Division-leading Philadelphia Phillies, this is the TeacherCast Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Bradbury, and welcome to another episode of the TeacherCast Podcast from TeacherCast.net. The TeacherCast podcast is a weekly show where we discuss the 21st century technologies that teachers need to utilize in their 21st century classrooms. Today we have two very special guests with us today. Joining us from the other side of the world in Sydney, Australia, we have blogger, Twitterer, iMovie expert, and a really good friend of mine, Mark Greentree. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing very well, Jeff. A little bit cold, but uh, we're still in winter and the sun's out, so uh, after we do the recording, I might go out in the sun with the kids and have some fun. And how are things in Sydney these days? Very good. And uh, as we're recording here in the States, it's it's Monday evening, but uh, Mark, you've already reached Tuesday, isn't that correct? Tuesday morning at almost 10 a.m. So I guess the question we should be asking you is, how, how does tomorrow look? Uh, looks bright and sunny from where I'm sitting. <laughs> And also joining us today from St. Louis, home of rock and roll legend Chuck Berry, is educator, blogger, and clinician, uh, Cindy Danner-Kuhn. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Hi. I'm just in St. Louis, though, doing a workshop. I really live in Manhattan, Kansas, and teach at Kansas State University in the College of Ed. Excellent. Go, Kansas. So I'm, from, I'm in my motel room right now. <laughs> How are the motel rooms out there in St. Louis? Well, you know, to Hampton Inn, they're all alike. <laughs> well, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. So, Cindy, I want to start with you. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the type of work that you do? Um, I'm a, I was a high school teacher for 26-plus years, taught high school journalism, graphic design, English, photography, all of that kind of stuff. was passionate about journalism, and that's actually how I kind of got into technology and computers sort of fell into this university level of teaching and been here since, been at this level since 1998, was at a smaller university, Fort Hayes State, before, and I've been at Kansas State for the last three years. I teach the technology class that every single education major in the College of Education takes at Kansas State University. So they all have me, good or bad, but it does make for a great deal of consistency with what our majors get and leave K-State with. So it's lots of fun. So if I was a, an elementary education major at K-State, I have to take your class? You absolutely have to take it. You have to take it even if you're a secondary major. And uh, what kind of technologies would you teach me? or what, What's the technologies that you're teaching these days to uh, ed majors? Um, you know, most of them are pretty good at fiddling around on the internet, but don't really know how to use it effectively in the classroom. They're pretty good at Facebook, but there's some schools that let you use Facebook, but they need to know how to use that effectively in the classroom if they're going to do it. So, you know, we're trying to move them past. I mean, if they come to my class expecting to learn Microsoft Office and PowerPoint and Microsoft Word and Excel and that kind of stuff, they're in the wrong class because we don't even talk about it. In fact, we don't even use it. So we're taking them to a different level. We're doing a lot of Web 2.0 tools. Every student leaves my classroom with a website. I wouldn't want to say it was done, but it's well on the way because it becomes their portfolio, and then they continue to add to it 
throughout their time in the College of Ed and through their student teaching. So when they get out there and get ready to interview for a job with a principal, they've got something to show and they can demonstrate that they can use the technology. You know, they need to be able to demonstrate it, not just say they can do it. I think that's so helpful. I'm seeing a lot of kids these days in college that, that just don't have the skills to, to make it in a digital world. It kind of amazes me sometimes in my class when I hear a 20-year-old say, I'm just not good at technology. That is I'm incredible, like, isn't it? You're kidding me. <laughs> I'm not good at technology. Maybe you're not, but those words should not be coming out of your mouth as a college of education major. Not especially if you're holding your resume. Right. <laughs> Now, so Mar- I try to get them past that fear. Oh, absolutely. When they end the class, they're at least feeling a little more comfortable. Because, you know, the, your first year of teaching, there's plenty to worry about without worrying about the technology. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Mark, you're coming at this from a different point of view. You're not a, a professional educator, but I know you have a few small kids. So let me change the question around. What would you, as a parent, expect that your teachers know teaching your kids? Definitely have the basics down pat. Um, Now, my kids are are four and five, so they're starting right at the kindergarten level. Uh, So teachers in the the primary schools, I believe, need to have a a complete understanding of just how to educate the children with either iPads or Macs or PCs. Unfortunately, PCs are, are prolific in schools. And they need to have a... Isn't that really sad? It is. And... You know, when you look at it, I'll just go on a a little side rant. The Mac can run Windows, so there's no reason why they can't have the best of both worlds. Uh, So that's what I'd recommend if any uh, principals or anyone uh, is listening with money who can help. uh, Remember, the Macs will run Windows natively on the hardware, so your students can actually get more education than just uh, one format of computing. So I... uh, I strongly believe that the kids need teachers that understand the technology, understand how to use it from the primary level. And also, I don't want to see my kids go to school and say, we know how to do this, you don't, to the teacher. Um, I know that happens quite a bit, and I think it would be rather embarrassing for a a six-year-old to go to school and teach the teacher, if you will. So uh, from that standpoint, that's where I stand. Certainly when it comes to the high school level, I'd like to see teachers almost computer professionals um, in their ability to not only uh, educate children uh, for the computer and so forth, but also to actually deliver additional content to what's being taught in the classroom uh, through websites and blogs and so forth. Now, Cindy, what... What level are your students at when they get to you? Are they are they freshmen? Are they seniors? Where well, are they in their training? Late soft, you know, second semester sophomores, first semester juniors. They're just they're admitted to the teacher education program. They've got all their gen eds done and their basics. So most of them are through their first two years of college. So they're into their major, probably about the first semester in their major. So most of them have two to three semesters left. And. What skills do you feel that teachers, professional teachers or even you know future student teachers here, need to have to better prepare their students? You had mentioned you ask all of your students to make websites. Right. Is that, are you teaching them code or well, are you teaching no. them a simple blogging no, style no. website? Or oh, are you kidding? 
<laughs> you know, there are so many wonderful programs out there that just do it. For example, I use iWeb on the Mac. It's a program that comes as a part of the iLife suite of software. It's free. And you can do basically anything you can imagine. If you can drag and drop and you can type, you can use iWeb. So it's easy. You don't have to understand code. Because I think that's the thing that people are fearful about. It's like, oh, my goodness, I have to do all that programming stuff to make a web page. And that's simply not true. There's many, many ways you could do it and a lot of free ways you can do it. You know, you have to take free with a grain of salt because sometimes free is exactly what you think. It's limited. But in a pinch, it sure does work. Mark, do you use iWeb at all? I use iWeb for my site, everydaymaxsupport.com. And uh, just that little free application, I've got over a 1,000 pages of content. I deliver my uh, podcast through that um, application as well. And it serves out to around about 3,500 people at the moment each month. So without falling over, it's certainly a very powerful application. And the thing that I like is I can actually concentrate on my writing and creating articles that can help people learn the Mac or the iPad a little bit better. So I'd prefer to concentrate on what my strengths are rather than try and write code where I know a little bit, but I don't know too much. So if you definitely want something that's user-friendly, nice and easy, uh, iWeb is still available in the iLife 11 package. Uh, so go out and, and pick up the... Um, the iLife 11 DVD, unfortunately, it's not on the new Mac App Store yet, so uh, you've still got to pick it up on the physical media, but it's just, it's super user-friendly, it's nice and easy, and it's expandable. You, you know, a thousand pages of my content with high-quality images, uh, I'm impressed that it's still going, and it doesn't slow down, doesn't cause me any problems. No. I agree with you completely. That's I have tons of stuff on my sites, and I have multiple sites, and I really, it just works. And you there, can there's that phrase again. It, well, it, this one does, <laughs> but you can actually create multiple sites within iWeb yeah. as well. So you're not limited to just one site or having to go to different platforms to create different sites. You can have ten different sites if you want, all being published different ways. So if you're a teacher and you uh, teach, you know, three or four different uh, courses, then you can actually have different sites for each relevant course. Now, would you suggest a teacher have an, his or her own dedicated website, or Absolutely. is something like a blogger or a Tumblr feed, is just a blog website enough if you're a teacher in education? Um, maybe. <laughs> I, you know, that's a vague answer, but I think they absolutely need to have a website as a way to communicate with parents because right now when somebody says, ask you to look up information, where do we all go? We go to the Internet. It stands to reason that parents are going to go to the Internet to find out information about their child's teacher, their child's classroom. I think they absolutely have to have some kind of a website, whether they're using something really rich and robust like iWeb or whether they're using something like WordPress. And, and, you know, you can accomplish the task both ways. I actually use both. I have my website and I link to my WordPress blog which is kind of a newsletter, and it's a resource-sharing place for me. It started out as a way to share resources with my colleagues and my students, and it's sort of one of those things that on one hand, in my brain, it's kind of grown to a monster because I have so many subscribers now. But I use both, 
although I think they kind of serve different purposes. How do you feel about uh, the need for maybe teachers to have their own unique domain name? I think it depends on how the school has it set up. Okay. Well, what would you say? I know I'm going to open up a can of worms here, but what would you say to the teacher that says, oh, I, I have a website. It's, it's on Facebook. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of my I say, well, you don't really have a re- website. You have a Facebook site. Yeah, and Facebook should never merge into education. Yeah. I, the problem with Facebook <clears throat> is there's too many distractions. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Sorry, Jeff, you're going to have to cut that. There's too many distractions with all the ads, with personal friends and family coming on and, and annoying you, and and uh, it's just not safe. I can't enforce that enough. It is not safe for kids, anyone under the adult age. It is not safe to you know publish information up there. And certainly, I wouldn't recommend that any teacher use that as a publishing tool. Um, you know, there's so many, so many other good free programs. If you want something free that's on the web, use Blogger, for instance. Um, you know, just just don't go down to the Facebook side of things. Yes, everyone's on it, but then you've also got a fine line between personal and professional on Facebook as well. And there's not really a proper defined way to actually have two accounts and manage them independently. Very interesting. Well, we, we made a little bit of a left turn. Um, let's get back to, to teachers and, and just being prepared here. Um, Cindy, I, I know you, you teach you know, in a college situation, but you also give professional lectures to already teaching professionals, right. right? I do a lot of professional development with teachers in schools. In fact, that's what I did all day today and all day tomorrow. And, and what, what kind of... Uh, courses do you give to, to, to for professional well, development? Well, tomorrow is an iPad workshop, and actually this summer, probably 90% of the workshops I've done, uh, all total by the time school starts in the fall, I will have done about 30 workshops, and I would say out of 30, uh, 28 of them have been iPads. Nice. It, it seems like school districts are going iPad right and left, and, you know, right now, I actually think... If somebody took my laptop away from me, I could completely 100% function on my iPad. I don't know that I would have said that a year ago, but I sure could say that now. I don't really want anybody to take my laptop away, but if it happened, I could completely function. And Mark, do you think that schools these days are going to the iPad because they're, uh, they're all capable of running mobile me? Well, uh, don't get me started <laughs> on the mobile me topic, Jeff. <laughs> um, I think it's because there's less management involved, too. There is. It's Look, it's one of these things that... Let's have a look at the iPad. It's a, a wonderful device. Kids get a buzz out of looking at the iPad, out of holding it, out of using it. And that's half the problem with education. You've got to you know, engross the kids in something that they're interested in. And if they see something that's fun and entertaining, I personally believe they're more likely to actually pick up the technology and run with it. All right, so let's talk about how to introduce some of these technologies into our classrooms. I, I think as teachers, we we see people using iPads and Twitter and Skype and things, and, and we want to know how to create lesson plans around this technology. Um, but I just don't think some of us know how to go about implementing it into our lesson plans. Uh, 
Cindy, do you just teach the students how to use Skype and Twitter, or do you teach them how to use that in their curriculums? You know, it always starts with, since most of the tools I teach are brand new, and I hate to say it's as tools, but I don't, I'm at a loss for another word that's appropriate. It starts with a little bit of step-by-step of how the actual tool works, but then we get into how you would use that in your curriculum. For example, VoiceThread would be a good example. It's probably one of my favorite Web 2.0 tools. And they just came out with an iPad app, too. Well, it's not out yet, but it's due out shortly. So I'm excited about that. But, you know, learning to use VoiceThread and how to put the pictures in and how to add your voice and how to publish it is one thing. But you're right. You have to know how to use it in the curriculum. So I have students in my classes from... Everybody that's going to be from a kindergarten teacher to a high school physics teacher and everything in between. So they usually have to come up with a project where that they could actually use in their classroom with their curriculum aligned to standards. Hmm. So, you know, they, they won't remember it. They won't actually use it unless they actually do it. So let me pose a question to you, Cindy, that that. that that you might find a teacher asking you. And the, the question basically goes, I just got an iPad. Now what do I do with it? <laughs> My first comment is, uh, you need to just use it for entertainment, first of all. Find something fun to do on it. Play a game. Watch a movie. Download a podcast. And then jump into productivity apps. You know where you can actually create things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you got to start a, a good place for teachers to start if they're wanting to up the ante when it comes to using technology in the classroom is through podcasting, which is exactly what we're doing right here. And start reading teacher blogs and seeing what other teachers are doing out there in their own classrooms, and then you're probably going to get an idea. Usually for me, all it takes is showing a few examples, especially when I'm in a room full of teachers like today. I show a couple examples of what other teachers done, and pretty soon, you know, we have ideas flowing every which way on what they could do in their own classroom. So you'd suggest just diving right in and yep. getting a feel. Now, now Mark, uh, C- Cindy mentioned you know how to do a podcast. Now, I, I know you do podcasting. We're you know we're, we're recording a podcast right now, but but does it have to be something so expensive and fancy and something that's really really difficult? What happens if I'm not a real computer person? What's a cheap way to do a podcast? Okay, so I have to come there. Okay, go. So when is how come podcasting is hard? It's not. How so? I'm being the devil's advocate here, but podcasting's not hard. How would you teach? How, how would you tell? How would you tell a teacher how to start podcasting? On your iPad, you could use that little app I just talked about called Sonic Picks. You could make a podcast in five minutes. You can also use GarageBand too on the iPad. Uh, now that, that's a paid app, unfortunately. It's only about uh, six or seven dollars, I believe. But um, that's also a, a good way to then add a little bit of music and flair into a podcast if you've just got a, an iPad to work with. Hmm. So it's really not that complicated if you're kind of a novice at computers. Absolutely not. And if you look at using the Mac platform, which I believe uh, most educa- 
most educators uh, would be interested in using, uh, then you've got iWeb. And as soon as you create iWeb, you can create a new page and a com- or a new section to your website, and it can just be a podcast page. And you just fill it in. You do the recording, of course, in GarageBand, or as we're doing now, we're doing a, a recording from Skype with three people. And you just put the show in, put the show notes in, the title, and it's just one simple button in iWeb. You go up to the file menu and then go down to submit podcast to iTunes and within about a week, iTunes will email you the uh, link and say you're up, you're on iTunes and then all you have to do is keep producing content, adding it into that i into that podcast uh, area of iWeb and each week it'll just be updated automatically. Hmm. That seems very, very easy, Mark. It is. It, it's incredibly easy. And if you make something like podcasting too complicated, people aren't going to want to do it because they're going to be afraid of the ifs and the buts and the maybes. But if you make it really, really easy, um, you know, everyone can be involved and do it. And, you know, there's, I think, 300,000-odd podcasts that are released every week. So it's something that a lot of people have done. And it's a way to get your voice heard. And from a teacher's standpoint, it's adding extra content to the curriculum. And getting the kids involved. For example, maybe you could have a weekly podcast in your classroom and the kids do it and upload it. And maybe it's just a recap of what we did this week in third grade. That's a great project. It is a very good one. Get the kid involved. Now, a podcast doesn't have to be video. A podcast is audio or video. But have you guys heard of any examples where teachers used... Well, media or, or, or podcasting just to like tell what, tell their kids or tell their parents like what their homework is every day and just post that on post an audio note on their website. Well, you don't. There's even a have great to- app on your Mac called uh, Photo Booth. If you want to do video podcasts, where you know it's a no brainer. You click the little camera and it starts recording, and you can record a little video speaking into your webcam when you get done. It's finished. Upload it to your website or to iTunes or to your blog or. Wherever you're going to put it, you're done. You don't even have to think about how to save it. It saves it in the right format right off the bat. Now, if, if also you didn't want to do a audio or a video uh, podcast, if you wanted to just take an existing uh, document that you've created, you can actually submit PDF documents up to the iTunes feed, and they can be downloadable and viewed in iTunes on the Mac and on the, uh, I believe they go into the iBook uh, app on the iPad, yes. which is a free app, so you can actually use the PDF. Uh, and, and Jeff, I'm I'm relating this to your topic of, of teacher uh, parent communication. You know, mm-hmm. the, the teachers could submit on a podcast feed not only the podcast but also a PDF outlining the homework, the assignments, um, or what's expected, and, and so forth. And then it could just be downloaded. Hmm. That's, I agree. That's a great idea. That's a very good idea because I mean, that that opens up a lot of things. You know, as a as somebody who has all of our documents on our computer on PDF, could I open up an iTunes feed and just put all of my documents for those chapters online? Well, you can put them in your existing iTunes feed, or you could have an iTunes feed that is purely only for PDF. Uh, it's your choice. Apple doesn't discriminate whether it's video, audio, or PDF format, so you can choose whichever one you like. And and how how does one get a a podcast or how does one get a feed on uh, on the App Store? On on the 
I sorry, the iTunes. iOS on iTunes. Yes, yeah. How do I go about submitting uh, my content? How do I get on the iTunes store? Well, you've got a number of ways, but the way I know is, of course, iWeb, which I uh, just spoke about, where you uh, create the page and then you go down to submit podcasts to iTunes. Um, so basically, when you create your web page in iWeb or any other application, you'll get most commonly a feed, which will be just a, a straight RSS feed. What you want to do is you want to take that feed, then go into iTunes, and on the right-hand side where it's got a, a series of toolbars, you'll have a option of, I believe it's uh, submit a podcast to iTunes, or it may even be just a um, you know podcaster's link. Uh, certainly doing a Google search, if you type it in, it'll, it'll bring up the relevant Apple pages uh, with all the information you need. And basically, you just submit it with a little bit of graphic art to uh, present who you are and what you're trying to represent. And put your first podcast feed up there, and iTunes will pick it up. It, it seems so simple. I'm not sure why uh, why everyone's not doing it. It's time-consuming, I think, is the reason why a lot of people don't do it. It's you've, you've got to make sure that the content is accurate. You've got to make sure that it's relevant. And that takes a, a lot of time that perhaps people don't have. Mm-hmm. Cindy. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about blogs, wikis. Uh, is there still a need for kids to learn how to write in cursive anymore if we're all teaching typing skills and iPads and... Oh, that's a hot topic. Because <laughs> we still need to learn how to sign our name, right? I mean, sh- should Mark be teaching his little ones how to write their name in cursive? I was just in Atlanta doing a workshop this spring, and the state of Georgia has eliminated handwriting as a standard requirement. Oh, These wow. teachers were just incensed. They were like, well, we're teaching it anyway. Be it for that very reason, you know, you're still going to have to sign your name. And I don't see in our lifetime a point where we're still not going to have to write a little bit. I mean, even when the UPS guy comes and you accept the package, you sign your name, even though it's an electronic signature. Anytime you, write a, a, anytime you use a credit card, you have to sign your yeah. name. So, uh, you know, I don't think we can eliminate teaching handwriting or cursive writing or printing or any of that, I think we still need to, I think we're doing our kids a disservice if we do eliminate it. Because hmm. I think life's going to be harder for them if they don't know how to do that. Now, on the other hand, I don't write as much as I used to write, so my handwriting is really awful anymore. <laughs> I, I clearly need to practice it more, but I think we still have to teach that. So you know, do I. I... Great, but you have to use technology with purpose. Yeah, and I, I think it helps the the education of actually being able to learn how to read. If I look at my kids being five and four, you know, I want them to learn how to actually put letters together in a word rather than just typing it on a keyboard um, because they are two different beasts, really. You know, handwriting and being able to write in, in fluent written form is just... It, it can't go away, in my opinion. It's just so important to the way we communicate with everyone. I don't care how computer illiterate the world gets. I think you still need those basic core elements that can then be used and utilized. You know, I think it's, it will help. It, there's no way that it can be a bad thing. Yeah, I agree with you completely. 
Do you think that if we go long enough in our history, 50, 60 years, and we're not teaching handwriting, do you think kids won't be able to read any of these historical documents? Yes. <laughs> it, it, it would be a big, big disappointment to see us go that far, uh, to go that crazy on technology and and just have no basics of understanding of how to communicate. You know, if you take away the writing, then you're going to take away the communication, the vocal communication as well, um, to where we'll all just be, you know, typing messages to each other on a keyboard. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the years, especially with social networking uh, sites forming up, Twitter, Facebook, and so forth, even SMS messages, the, the way kids today write messages to each other, they abbreviate it. And, you know, I, I need a dictionary of modern abbreviations <laughs> to actually read what they're saying because I don't have a clue. Um, so it, it's going to hurt the balance of, of not only education, but of also the English language. You're not going to have that English language skills there. And um, the other thing that you also see when technology is brought in, whilst ebooks are popular, People aren't reading as much, and especially kids, they're not reading as much. If you, it, It's the one negative of something like the iPad. It's so entertaining and so much fun that many kids aren't going to want to read that e-book. They're going to want to play that game instead. Well, I, I think kids aren't reading the e-books that we put in front of them. I, just as an example, I, I do a class and I have everything on our website as a PDF document, and I thought I'd be the cool teacher, and instead of printing out, you know, 15 pages per kid, I'd save a tree and I'd give them a one or two page questionnaire and have the, the you know, the, the 40 pages of their document online. And instead of reading the document, they found out how to use the search feature on the PDF and they located the keywords and went to that one paragraph and they never actually read the, read the chapter that they were required to read. College kids don't read it either. Yeah. I put all kinds of instructions up. I give them links to tutor- video tutorials. If they get stuck, you know, it's midnight and they're working on their assignment and Cindy's not available at midnight, you know, they can go to this tutorial to show them how to use it and they won't watch them. Yeah, I, I started doing the same. I, you know, I, 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 I found a couple YouTube videos of how to cite parenthetical documentation and they still don't watch it. Or I yep. even made a few screencasts of how to set up your paper for a particular assignment, and when you know when when their papers are turned in, oh, well, here we are again. We're, we're we're teachers complaining about our students in the summertime. <laughs> um, let, let's get let's get back a little bit on track here and talk about writing. Cindy, your background was I heard in journalism. Yes. Now, are you teaching, or should you expect your kids to know how to write? Um, traditional style, I will ask, or, you know, when you write a blog, you're basically writing journalistic, right? Yeah. Uh, You know, and I have a degree in English as well, and I really have mixed feelings about that. I'm not saying we kids don't need to know how to write the research paper or the term paper, because they probably do, because there's other skills they learn by doing that. Mm -hmm. But on the, on my blog or when we're blogging and we're doing reflective writing, you know, you've got to be able to think deeply and all of that comes from all those skills we learn from traditional writing. So, I mean, I couldn't be a good journalistic writing if I didn't have good skills to begin with. So I think one builds on the other and we need them all. I don't think we can eliminate that. 
Mark, are there any good blogs out there for four and five year olds? None that I've come across, uh, unfortunately. I'd love to say there is. Um, oh, no, no Dr. Seuss blogs or anything like that that a kid can get well, get into. You know what? I don't let my kids on the internet. Um, I I just don't believe it. It's the right thing to do um, for the kids to introduce them to that just yet. What I tend to do is I tend to get them educational titles on the iPad and where they'll actually be sounding out words and where they'll actually have to use their finger and, and draw on the screen to actually, uh, you know, uh, write a word, if you will, or write letters. Um, so I use that sort of technology to educate the kids versus using websites. Um, I will change that down the track, but perhaps not for a few years. Hmm. And anything that you have, Cindy, in mind for, for the younger kids? I agree with him that the iPad is great, but there are also lots of great websites for kids that age. I have My stepson has three little boys, six, four, and two, almost three. And it just boggles my mind the things that they can do and learn from. There are just some great places for them on the web. But I think as a parent and as a teacher, you have to structure that and you have to be organized with it. And you can't just let them on there to go anywhere they want to go. So what what apps should we be using? Like what what apps do you, maybe we can break it down a little bit by, by grade level or, or by, you know, by discipline. But what, what are what are some of the good teaching apps out there that we should use? Are we talking iPad or computer? Oh, let's break it down. Let's talk. Let's let's talk iPad a little bit. That seems to be the topic of the day. But let's let's yeah, let's keep it with iPad for right now. And, and you know what? I'll even open it to this. I'm not necessarily looking at educational apps, but for instance, I use Keynote when I teach. That's a necessity that I have in my classroom. I I I, I can't live without that Keynote feature on iPad. So, what would you suggest that we have in our arsenal, Sydney? Um, I put all of my course materials on my website, and I use iMovie and GarageBand, as we talked about earlier. Um, I was in a classroom and saw a teacher using a silly little app, and I really would have never in a million years thought about using this way. Talking Tom, that silly little cat that repeats back everything you say. That is so cute. It is so cute, and that was my reaction oh that's so cute and so fun i saw a teacher in a high school classroom so you could do this at any level because i saw it in high school she was using it to review for a test how was she doing that ask the question and the kids would use the ipad to give the answer to the test question that they were reviewing for and then talking tom would repeat it back on the big screen through the sound system <laughs> the kids were super entertained this teacher swears up and down it's the best they've ever done on the test nice so i you know that one kind of caught me off guard i would not have expected that um i love on the ipad the toy story read along app oh they're fantastic i've got my kids all three of those they're great Toy Story read-along. There's another great app for older kids, and it's a book, but it's an app. It's Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. It is mind-boggling. You know, all these kids got so tuned in to, we were talking reading earlier, about reading all those Twilight books and Harry Potter and everything. Well, Twilight is just, you know, vampires and werewolves and all that stuff. 
well, that's what Dracula was just from a lot of years ago. Well, this Dracula app is an interact. It's an interactive book. It has sound effects. It has cool things. On one page, there's a IV tube that runs through the page, and you touch the end of the needle, and blood runs through it, and it reveals more words. I mean, if that wouldn't turn a kid on to reading, I'm not sure what would. Very nice. It is, it's not a free app right now, but I know I got it for free in October last year. So I'm wondering if maybe it won't be free again. Hmm. There's another app, another book, and um, you might really like this one if you have little kids. It's called A Story Before Bed. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you can use it on their website as well. And you'll read a book, and it records you reading the book to the child or have the child read the book, and it records it. And it's a video recording. It's like a little inset picture into it as the book turns the pages. It is very, very cool. And what's that called again? A Story Before Bed. I'll have to put a link to that one. And it works on the website as well as on your iPad. Nice. Does it sync between the two? You know, I haven't tried that. I don't know. Good question. We'll have to try that. That that seems like it's a really neat idea. It is really, really cool. Mark. Uh, yeah. There's a neat little app called Cookie Doodle where you make cookies. But what a family consumer science teacher told me was that it really teaches sequencing, which... You know, it's you know, you do this and then you do this and you do that, and kids need to know that. You know, teach that ordering skill. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun little app. Hmm. Um, I'm looking at my kids' folder here. To <laughs> what else I have. Well, I'll just quickly jump in, and and mainly the apps that I try and get my kids are like the Toy Story apps, where they're the interactive book, and the book actually reads to them, and will actually highlight the words, and then they may have things like, uh, like you know, putting a puzzle together. They may have other little games where you know, flip over cards and match the two images, or find differences in two different pictures. So it gives them a little bit of game entertainment, plus it gives them a, a good basis in being able to pick up a book and read. And I feel it actually helps with their learning abilities because if I look at it this way as a parent, I'll sit there and I'll read to my kids and I will actually, you know, sort of help them sound words out and help them understand basic words and so forth. But if they don't get it right, I'll say, of course, well, no, that's not the right word, it's wrong. Whereas with these uh, apps and so forth, the kids can sit there for half an hour, an hour, and it doesn't matter what they do, it's not going to be wrong because it's just a matter of trial and error. And then they will work it out themselves as to which one is correct. And then they'll actually learn from that. Yeah, it's teaching great problem-solving skills. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that our kids need as they get older. Here's a little bit app for a little bit older kids that are already reading Literacy is such a big focus, and we need kids to practice reading. They have a light version, but I paid the dollar ninety nine and bought the timed version. It's called K twelve timed reading. What it does is it gives them passages, and they read it out loud, and it records them, and it ta- and it evaluates their reading. Like, you know, you read one hundred and forty two words in that minute. You know, so what should a third grader be reading? What should a fourth grader be reading? Or what should we be reading at the beginning of the year 
do it off and on throughout the year and track a kid's project process. You know, so we can say, okay, at the beginning of the year, you're reading 142 words in a minute. Now you're reading 352 words a minute. So you've seen improvement. That's good evidence for a parent, too, that the kid's making progress. Hmm. What was that app called one more time? K-12 Timed Reading. Yeah, K-12 Timed Reading. That's actually an iPhone app. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully they'll have it switched over eventually. Hmm. What about using different kinds of social media in in the classroom? I mean, okay, Facebook's a little bit too much. Um, I don't know if you've tried Google Plus yet, but but what about some of these... Well, I have a Google Plus account, but I have to admit I haven't messed with it a whole lot yet. Mark, have you tried it yet? I've tried it, and I like it because you can actually isolate um, different people into different circles and then direct um, content just specifically at them and no one else, and then they can uh, reply and, and, and work in that way. And I think perhaps... Um, you know, something like a Google Hangout where you've actually got video and you can link up and, and have a, a visual conversation is a good thing. Um, I just don't know how that could be applied in in teaching and in the classroom. It's more for long-distance learning. It would be perfect. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I haven't really messed with it enough to have a good feel for it, but something I'm really into now is the whole QR code thing. What are uh, QR codes? I, you know, those little barcode square boxes that are, look weird we see on everything anymore. Mm -hmm. I bought some bananas the other day and there was a QR code on the label. (laughs) It's like, okay. Um, How do we read those? Children's book. Like I bought a children's book about animals for my little grandson. And I went through and let the first page is about the Arctic and polar bears. So I went and I found a video from Discovery Channel about polar bears in the Arctic. I used a website called KY. I don't know exactly how you say it. K-A-W-K-A-Y-W-A. And it gen- I took the URL, slapped it in a little window on this website, and it generated the QR code for me. Took the QR code, printed it out, pasted it in the page in my book, and on my iPhone or an iPod Touch or an iPad, you have an app called a QR Reader. The kid holds the camera over that with the app open, and voila, it takes them right to the video that supports the content in the book. Hmm. Now, the thing that I think is powerful about that is look at all the textbooks we have in school that are out of date and we're not buying new ones. It'd be a great way to update a textbook with more current content. Right. And many textbooks these days have companion websites that have right. more information. I got a kindergarten teacher. She actually took my class the last three weeks just for the fun of it. And when I got to this and showed it, she was talking about the fact that kindergartners, for example, it's really hard for them to type in a URL. For heaven's sakes, it's hard for an adult to type in a URL when somebody gives it to us. So what she did was she had some websites that they use in their classroom. One is Starfall and one's some math website that they use that goes along with their books they're using. And she said on the math one, you ha- after you get the website typed in, it's about four clicks to get to whatever you're going to do usually. So she figured out a way to make a QR code that took them right to the exact page. 
we found a little app on the Mac called QuickMark. You hold the QR code up in front of your web camera, and it immediately takes you to the right page on the website. Now, from a teacher's point of view, I think about how much time I could save and how much time is wasted in my classroom with kids trying to type in the right URL and get them to the right spot. That reminds me of another website that I was thinking of. Uh, have you guys ever seen Tiny URL? Yes. What's it? What is it? Tiny URL. Oh, yes. It, it's, a, it's a fantastic website. Uh, if you have a web address that's, you know, a thousand characters long, yeah. you can actually copy that and paste it into Tiny URL, and it'll come up with a tinyurl.teachercast, and that'll automatically take you to another website that's, you know, of your choice that has a much larger uh, site. I, I know teachers use that all the time to help yeah, their I kids out. Yeah, I a lot, too. I've seen teachers' websites where it's just tiny URL and just goes down by, like, you know, 100 different websites. Mm-hmm. It's quick, and, and it's simple. And that's what this QR code thing is, too. It's really, like, the room I was teaching in today at this school, I didn't check to see what they were, but there were four QR codes, one on each wall in the room. They had printed them out almost full size on a piece of paper. So I should have went over and put my QR reader in front of one and see where it went, but mm-hmm. I didn't get it done. So I'll do that tomorrow and let you know what was up. But these were in a room. So are you suggesting that we allow our students to use their phones in a classroom to use Absolutely. things like Absolutely. I, you know, most of them have a computer in their pocket. One that's you not know, blocked by technology, right? Way to use those things. And there are. I use it for, I use Poll Everywhere. That's how I take attendance in my college class. Hmm. They can either submit it through the website, of course, or they can submit it through their phone. So when they walk in the room, I have the poll up there in the front, and they log in that they're there, and I, ha- I tie it to their cell phone numbers. And what if and they don't have their phone with them? What you need to do at that level is I have athletes in class, and you do have to document their attendance for their scholarships. Hmm. So it's kind of handy. That's interesting. Uh, that poll anywhere, and, and that's i iPad and iPhone. Yep, poll everywhere. Poll everywhere. Okay. Well, wow. This is going to be a lot of links to talk about at the end of this. That is that poll is really everywhere. really good. It's amazing. You can do it from the web. And you said you use Keynote all the time. Yes. Poll everywhere lets you actually install a little app, and you can download the slide in, and it makes you a slide that you embed right in your Keynote presentation. So as you were giving your lesson in class, you could check for understanding right in the middle of your keynote. And it works interactively on the screen. Like as the kids vote, the little bar goes across the screen. So it's very visual. The kids love it. But they have to have an iOS device? Not necessarily. They could vote from the web or they could vote from Twitter. Really? You can turn on whatever features you want. It's free up to 30 people voting at any one time. Hmm. Poll everywhere. We'll have to definitely check that out and do an app review on it. Uh, moving on a little bit, I, I wanted to hit a, a website that's kind of been talked about a few times on the TeacherCast podcast here. Um, Edmodo. Uh, what is Edmodo? Have you used it, Cindy? A little bit. But I have a teacher friend who started using it in her classroom. She's a sixth grade teacher. And now they use it school-wide in every classroom in her school. And it appears to be, it's a safe, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's a safe classroom-based 
social networking site where kids can post things and and leave comments on on articles and and yes. and it's all under the guise of educational based. It's not right. open to the public. Just anybody can't get in. Like if I set an Edmodo up for my class, let's say tomorrow, nobody could get in but those people I invite in, my students. Mm-hmm. You know, now I could choose to invite you in if I wanted to, but you can't really get in otherwise. It can be very, it's pretty secure. And what kids like so much about it is it actually looks very Facebooky, you know, so it kind of has that look and feel of Facebook. But whereas in Facebook, you can't post a PDF, for example, or a document, in here you can. Mm-hmm. So you can really use it as an educational site. It really is, that's all it's for. It's not intended to be a social network for the general public. It is really intended for classroom use. Hmm. And if you know how to use Facebook, you basically know how to use it. That's, I, I know there's a really nice iPad app out there for it. And, and I've got you know teacher friends that use it and swear by it. And I, I'd love to figure out how to use it in my, in my classrooms. I, I, you know, I think it's a really good app that a lot of my friends are using. Hey, Mark, um, you said your kids are four and five years old. Where do you see the technology going by the time they hit college? Oh, boy. <laughs> and, are going, and, and are going to Kansas State. Jay, I, I, uh, I could go real Star Trek on us here. Or I could just say I don't know, which is probably more honest. Um, look, it definitely will integrate with, with society a lot more and with education especially. But as to how quickly this change will actually occur and what that will mean for our society, well, that's, that's really a bigger question. Um, I don't see us... I see us still relying on the technology to do a lot, but I don't see it taking over our lives and and so forth. Um, I know that's very vague, but you know, looking into the future into technology, it could go any number of ten different ways. Cindy, where, where do you see technology going, or where do you see? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, sorry, <laughs> I, it's just I, I it, when I look at how much technology and the way I teach has changed. In the last 20 years, it blows my mind. But then when I stop and think about how much it has changed in the last five, I think, holy moly. And then now I look, heavens to Betsy, my course is never the same two semesters in a row. It, there's just something new. You know, you find something that works for you and you turn around and the next day there's something better. It, I can't even imagine where it's going to be 20 years from now. Absolutely. <clears throat> and do do you find yourself redoing the same lessons over and over again, but having to update it for whatever whatever the local program of choice is, whether it be a, a Ning or a, or a Twitter? Yeah. Or a... <laughs> I got hooked into Ning, and then you know they started charging all that money for it. So yeah, they I did away from Ning, and you find something else, and I just do that over and over and over again. So what, what's how, how do we stay ahead of the curve here as teachers? Yeah. I wish I knew the answer to that. We'd get rich. Good point. <laughs> I think the only way that you can stay ahead of the curve on technology is to just be, you know, consumed by it, be interested in it, and just keep up to date with everything that's happening. Um, use it as a hobby and just, 
you know, allow yourself to be sucked into the world of the internet and and the world of computing, be that on an iPad, iPhone, or even your Mac. I agree. I think the biggest thing is I just hate it when I hear teachers say, I don't have time. Well, you know what? You got to make time. Right. <laughs> I, I don't care whether it's five. You know, it's like Twitter. People, will, when I introduce that in class, believe it or not, it's like pulling teeth in my college class, getting my college kids to understand how Twitter is useful. But for me, Twitter is my staff development every day when it's convenient for me. Some days that's five minutes. Some days that's no time. Some days that's, oh, I get lost in it and spend hours. But I I read through the Twitter feed. I look for links. I go explore them. And that's how I find stuff I can use in my classroom. I know I miss lots of stuff because I'm not looking at it at every moment of the day. But I look at it when I have time, and I learn every single day from it. Do you use uh, Twitterfall at all? I don't. Have you heard of Twitter? Do you know of Twitterfall? I know what it is, but I have never used it. Twitterfall is is a website that basically if you type in any word or key term, it'll do a search for all of the topics that are trending under those words. I've done a lot of professional development sessions where people have um, just used Twitterfall to, to to find a topic and then find that person who's t- who's tweeting about it and start a conversation with that person. Oh, there's a lot of good ways. I, I use it on the iPad. It's a website. It's not an app. Okay. I think it's Twitterfall.com. Yeah, I found it. Cool. I have to play with that. Thank you. It's uh, it works is all I can say. I, I've used it in my in my music theory class where I've had them locate uh, specific composers or or you know a, a music historian and uh, there, there's a lot of possibilities with it. It also is very overwhelming because at any given time a kid can type in a word you don't want them to and suddenly they've <laughs> found a thousand uh, ways to use those terms. So, are you a music teacher? I am a music teacher. I, I teach high school in uh, northern central, yeah, northern central New Jersey, and nice. I have have an orchestra, and I teach music history and theory, and and I, I love my kids. Papa is a classical guitarist working on his master's in music theory. Nice. Where where is that? Where's he? At University of Missouri Conservatory of Music. Very nice. So well, good luck to him. Yeah. How how much farther does he go before... Uh, uh, started last year, so he's got a while to go. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. But he's very talented. Well, um, that that pretty much exhausts a lot of our topics. Um, thank you guys for, for coming on here. Um, is there any other thing that you guys want to hit before we wrap this up? I guess my best piece of advice to teachers listening would be just jump in. Don't be afraid. You're not going to break anything. Just experiment. And if you can find a way to use it in your personal life, you'll probably figure out a way to use it in your classroom. I, I couldn't think of a better way to end, M- Mark. I totally agree with that. Excellent. Well, Cindy and uh, Mark, I sincerely say thank you for joining us today on our show. Um, Why don't we wrap up by having you guys tell us a little bit about where to find you guys on the web. Uh, Cindy. Okay. My website is, and I'm sure you will put the link in, but Mm -hmm. it's cindydannercoon.info is my main website. One more time. Cindy Danner Coon, C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-N-N-E-R-K-U-H-N dot info. 
You can access my course site right off of my website. I have it all out there, not behind a walled garden. <laughs> and my blog is technologybitsbitesandnibbles.info. Mm, bits, bites, and nibbles. I like that. Yeah, and I use my whole name for everything, for Twitter, for Skype, for iChat, for all of it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I'm sure you'll be getting a ton of Twitter followers be- behind this one. Uh, Mark, uh, where can we find you? Well, people can find me at my website, which is www.everydaymacsupport.com, where I write a uh, daily blog and, and articles about how to use your Mac and get the most from the technology that comes with your Mac and your iPad. And you can also come on Twitter and have a chat with me with username Everyday Mac. And of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest information on how to be a how to become a better 21st century educator and the brand new apps that are coming out for all of the OS platforms by visiting us often at our website teachercast.net and following us on Twitter at teachercast. Thanks for listening to the Teachercast podcast. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass it along our web address, teachercast.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts and app reviews that are beneficial to you, the 21st Century Educator. This has been a TeacherCast production. Join us next time for another edition of the TeacherCast podcast. Good night, everybody.